Welcome to the podcast for people turning the great American RV adventure into stressless camping. We're glad you joined our weekly adventure. Now let's gather around the campfire with our hosts, Peggy and Tony Barthel. Welcome to our virtual campfire, everybody. It is a pleasure to be back here with you again this week, talking from our bunker here in <laughs> Northern California. You are the shining portion of our week. Is That's getting for sure. able to sit and talk with you guys. Yeah, that can't be understated. We appreciate your bringing us into your ears, and we appreciate you guys being here with us virtually. Yes, and as tough of a time as we're having here, sitting in our house and not being able to go out, how tough is it for you full-timers? This has got to be just the worst. So if you don't follow what goes on out there in the RV world, because we're obsessed with it, of course, a lot of full-timers are having issues finding places to stay because parks and facilities are being closed. And sometimes it's like somebody will make an announcement and it's like all the state parks are closed. For example, this past week was supposed to be a big rally in Arizona and a lot of those people had planned to attend the rally and then obviously come back home. And some of them don't have a place to stop on the way home. So it's challenging times for our viewers. And, you know, I'm sure we will all get back to normal. We hope that all the campgrounds will make it through this financially. But yeah, it's a tough time. And one of the things that struck me is I noticed that in several states, real estate was considered essential need, but campgrounds were not. Which is pretty crazy. Yes, I understand that if there's a transaction in place that it can go through and a lot of that is just purely paperwork. Okay, cool. But gosh, close campgrounds, there has to be a different way. So I'm going to make a plea to all of you to look up who the people are that you vote for and tell them that you feel campgrounds are an essential service, especially for people who are living in their RVs, which apparently there are about a million people in this country living in their RVs. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. And so I would urge you to pen a note to your elected officials and just let them know that you feel campgrounds are essential for a lot of people. It's where they live. Right. I understand the idea of we don't want a lot of people traveling into our area from outside the area, potentially bringing the COVID-19 with them. But by the same token, there has to be a balance. Right. There's our soapbox. I'll go ahead and put it back away. <laughs> <laughs> and we will hear from these fine folks. And then we've got a burning topic that oh my. we want to share with you. Yeah, it's, it's hot stuff. Well, I just want to step in here briefly and uh, let everybody know if you are looking for an RV to rent, maybe you want to try out the RV lifestyle, or if you have an RV and it's just sitting there part of the year and you want to maybe recoup some of your investment, one of our partners, Outdoorsy, is a great way to facilitate that. Essentially, it's kind of a matchmaker between you and people looking for RVs or RVs and you looking for an RV and it's a great way to facilitate finding a great RV or again helping with the investment that you've made. Another thing during these crazy times Outdoorsy has established a 
part of their program for medical professionals. So people looking to shelter in place who are maybe in the medical field and might need to just reside in an RV temporarily. Or if you're looking for such an experience, Outdoorsy has that. And over on our discounts and deals page, we have all the information. We can uh, help you find that perfect RV. Or if you have that RV, help you rent that perfect RV. So visit our discounts and deals page and you will uh, find Outdoorsy is a great way to make all that happen. All right. Well, let's all get Outdoorsy. We're very fortunate to have United States Air Force Veteran Fire Chief Todd Mullane on the podcast with us. We met Todd at the FMCA rally, and he was talking about fire safety in RVs. And it's incredible how quickly RVs burn. And so fire safety is so critical. So Todd, welcome to the Stressless Camping Podcast. Thank you very much. I'm really glad to be here. We've been wanting to talk for months now, and and it's good that we're finally able to make this work. We're supposed to be camping together at the FMCA rally in Tucson and you're there and we're not. Right. We should be sitting side by side. I have been here since, actually, uh, just kind of sheltering in place, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk fire safety in RVs. You had a really good presentation about that, including go bags. So I'm going to turn this over to you. And And you can give us all the good stuff. I will. Well, I'll try to to articulate as well as I possibly can, though there's no pressure from uh, visual or standing in front of a class and having to. (laughs) remember everything because I am a little bit pre-programmed when it comes to down to some of my seminars. The nice thing about this is being able to have that conversation and allude to a lot of things with my notes. So I will say that in any and all cases with RVs, if you want to look at it from a fire safety guidelines, you want to look at it from overall safety, some of the important things to really consider are really what I'm going to touch on during this podcast and get into superficial details about it, but we'll get into more details as we start to go to the future with this, because there's a lot of topics that are worthwhile when it comes down to going in depth, a little bit more in depth. Differences in the smoke detection, ionization versus photoelectric. There is a substantial difference between the two, and this is why it's so important to have one type of each in your RV because they detect different types of smoke. One is for fire smoke and one is for smoky smoke. And we'll discuss those smoke detectors in a lot of detail next week. Sounds great. It's little things like that that are very important that people find out about, unfortunately, some cases after the fact. Gee, I wish I'd know or I wish I took the time to understand that. And unfortunately, I think a lot of us get into our RVs and hit the road running without really taking into consideration the things that we should be doing in our pre-departure checklist, things that need to be taken into consideration. And it's really crucial that every member of our party knows what to do in an emergency or a fire. And as we are millions of recreational enthusiasts who love to take on the road, it's imperative that we are knowledgeable, not only our equipment, but our safety as well. So some of the things to really consider is in an emergency, know where you are. That's probably the number one thing is knowing exactly where you are in relationship to your surroundings. In some cases, we are remote. And knowing the difference and distance between where you are and where emergency services are coming from can mean a difference between your survival and becoming a memory. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, we have advocated in the past having a whiteboard or chalkboard right near the door and having the address 
address and phone number and space number of the RV park you're in written there. So if there is a time where you have to call emergency services, you just look and go, I'm in Joe's RV park space 37. That's critical because look back at Quartzsite again. Quartzsite was probably the most dispersed location environment that I had seen since I was overseas in the military. Everything was everywhere and everyone was everywhere. There was very little organization to a degree on where people, how people were situated. Some of them were just too damn close and others were were well away from any emergency services and there was only one station there that was able to respond to the ones to the emergencies occurred. So firsthand knowledge of your location overall is key to helping us as responders get to you. Yeah, I can't even imagine that fire department or those EMTs trying to figure out where people are because a lot of times I don't think the people know where they are in Quartzsite. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Correct. And actually, there was two instances. One of the seminars that I was doing was kind of an impromptu for one of the groups. We did have an engine company and ambulance come on site for somebody who had been injured. It wasn't. It didn't happen at that moment. But a lot of times what we'll do is we will respond if an area is remote. We'll respond with two pieces of equipment and we'll send one team forward and one team aft to isolate the zone and determine where it is. One of us is going to find them. Time is is essential in any situation, especially emergency services. And I don't think there's ever been a time in my career that I haven't had somebody have an emergency that said, what took you so long to get here? It took us a minute and a half. Well, that minute and a half translated to them as an hour. Oh, yeah. Right. And that the excitement and the drive and all of the rest of that stuff. And not in the seminar that you were sitting in, per se, but in other ones, I've actually shown people the differences in time as to what it's like to be under stress 20 seconds and under normal circumstances 20 seconds. Making people move chairs in 20 seconds. Get into another seat right now. Go. And you have 20 seconds to do it. That 20 seconds gets eaten up very quickly because of the duress that you are under. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like time, they yeah. say time stands still. And it, it yeah, truly absolutely. does. RVs burn very quickly. How fast does an RV burn typically? Statistically, from the, some of the tests that were done by NFPA, some of the local tests by some other institutions, the average that we pulled through is 15 seconds the fire will multiply times itself. So every 15 seconds the fire will multiply. And the reason for that is because of the RV's construction type and the way that fire began. In your RV are a multitude of classifications of fire. The fire load in your recreational vehicle is multi-class fire. Woods, papers, plastics, there's cloth and stuffing in your seats, and you have cooking appliances all within 10 feet of each other. All of these facets of fire, gas, you have gases coming into your vehicle to support either heating or cooking. Combine that with electrical systems. And one of our fire situations that occur is because of electrical systems. And sometimes we forget that we are in a mobile recreational vehicle, and each RV is engineered with a certain amount of power to support the certain amount of plugs that you have. So I do sometimes have people put what we call power taps, the rated UL listed extension type power taps you would use on a computer. You go from one plug to six, but it has an inline resistor, right? It does have a fuse in it. I've seen many of those burn. I've seen many of them melt down sitting on dry wood. Most of our RVs that have wood, it's pretty dry. The stuff that we think is wood in an RV is actually pressed sawdust and it's not plywood. If it gets wet, it expands. Unfortunately, I had an incident here not that long ago where my cat and water came in contact with each other and some of the some of the wood on the floor got a little wet. Well, that wood expanded twice its size because it absorbed all the water. I, I was reminded immediately of just how one lightweight construction works 
two, lightweight framework, and three, the materials utilized in an RV are designed to be lightweight to begin with. All of those things combined allow for a fire to really propagate very, very quickly through a very light vehicle. You have 20 seconds to get out. And so a lot of people will have the fire extinguisher that came with the RV that they've probably never taken off and never even touched. They've seen it and it's there by the door. But your typical class A diesel pusher, you're in the back bedroom, you're sleeping, and all of a sudden the fire alarm goes off. Well, the door is on the other end of the coach, which is also where the fire extinguisher is. What are those fire extinguishers? What do they even do? The fire extinguisher that comes with it, you're only required to have one under the guidance of uh, NFPA for RVs, and that is normally located at the door. So if we're talking about a Class A, it's going to be right over there by the door, somewhere between the cooking appliances and the door. It is normally a DC standard rated extinguisher, about two pounds, pound and a half. And normally what I tell people is it's at the door anyway. You may as well just take it right on out the door with you because if you already see or smell smoke in an RV, a lot of times it's already too late because those fires are occurring in many cases behind the walls, like uh, loosened electrical connections, and I'll get into that down the road here a little bit, is something has occurred behind the scenes and we provide protection for is those areas that you can't see, those areas that are hidden behind the line. But the fire extinguishers that we recommend is if a Class A type vehicle that you have about five, a minimum two and a half pounds, multi-purpose dry chem, one of them located in the sleeping quarters, one of them to replace the one at the door, one of them forward at the driver's compartment, horizontal near the driver's seat, absolutely one outside in an accessible unlocked compartment that may not necessarily be near the actual exit door of your vehicle on the other side of it preferably and by all intents and purposes if you're towing a vehicle one in there or because I promote Bob the bug out bucket you should have an extinguisher in that and wrap all the other things around it because that may be your only means left to be able to protect yourself because everybody's already got now of a fire impinging upon you so five yes five fire extinguishers is considered equitable in this case and the idea is not to put out out the fire so that you save the RV. The idea is to make a path for you to get the heck out, right? Correct. What the, the big thing with fire extinguishers is, one, knowing how to use it, and that's usually the acronym PASS, full aim, squeeze, and sweep, but also the understanding that the, the use of a fire extinguisher is your ability to have enough cognitive recall of deciding fight or flight, that your fire extinguisher You've only got five to seven to 10 seconds of effective firefighting capability, especially if you can't see a fire, you're gonna be blowing this thing into what you assume or may be the fire, or you're gonna use it to make sure that you get out. And that is a practice learned skill that at X o'clock in the morning, you get up and the habitual form is to grab your fire extinguisher because you smelled smoke. Well, yes, you should have that with you because you may be leaving the bedroom into the fire seat. And that's where you are going to have to decide, how am I gonna this and you have seconds to make that decision seconds yeah. because like i said every 15 seconds the fire multiplies and you only have 20 seconds and that's not 20 seconds for you and 20 seconds for your partner 20 seconds for your dog and your cat no yeah. that's 20 seconds period period across the board everybody combined has that little time to get out of that rig because there's winds blowing in most cases the fire is roaring something has ignited it at this point it's what we call free burn and everything is reaching spontaneous combustion capability when a fire reaches that thousand plus degree mark objects and products that are inside that especially lightweight type a construction woods papers and plastics are reaching their ignition and free burn points and because of that everything will flash virtually at the same time the smoke has already reduced the oxygen
oxygen level inside the RV below that 15% we need to survive. And unfortunately, some people forget that when you wake up and sit up, you're sitting up into smoke. So it's things like that that have to be thought of ahead of time or that there are consideration as to what to do if. Because in most cases, we get into an RV because we're heading to that happy site down the road, wherever it is, and we tend to forget those things that we would take into consideration in the sticks and bricks. We have to remember to do that because we're on wheels now and we are much more vulnerable on wheels than we are in sticks and bricks. Yeah, those things burn quickly. Absolutely, without a doubt. Make sure that your uh, extinguishers, that one, have a gauge on them, for goodness sakes. Two, that they are mounted. I always tell people to mount them horizontally because that puts the powder the long way. And they are like your salt shakers. I get to a site and I have to tap that salt or a spice shaker on the counter yep. to loosen up to loosen up the stuff inside. It's the same thing with your fire extinguisher, except that's under 195 pounds of pressure in most cases and is getting compacted by driving. So you have a little brick inside there. When you get on site as part of your inbound checklist is to take that fire extinguisher off the wall and look at the seven different things. Gauges in the full upright and green position. The powder has been fluffed. Turn it upside down. Listen for the thub. Put it back. The pin is in place. The tamper seal is in place. It is put back on the wall, not sitting loosely somewhere in the rig. And the last thing is that you know how to use it. And by knowing how to use it is a term pass. Pull, aim, squeeze, and sweep. Pull the pin, aim at the base of the fire. If you can find it, squeeze the handle, sweep back and forth. But like we said, fire extinguishers are there to ensure that you at least have the opportunity to get out and decide fight or flight. I would say don't waste your time trying to save the rig. Just spend your 20 seconds trying to get the heck out. And it's good yes. to have practiced this. Our travel trailer is such that our bed is in the front and the door is right there. So getting out, we're going to be quick. But that's not right. always true. Like Class A's, some of them, the bedroom's in the back. And if there is a fire in the kitchen, which is somewhere in the middle of the coach, you're going to want to get out through the emergency window. And there are real hazards doing that. That's a really good point that you're bringing up, Tony, too, is the, is the differences in your egress and exit. The natural reaction, muscle memory drives you to go to the door, but that area may be cut off. That's why having a fire extinguisher in the sleeping quarters, which is in most cases 30 to 40 feet back, is key. But how does it work when your eyes are closed? Right. If you take an opportunity, because some people say, well, I'm not getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning to go open up my door. Well, that's <laughs> okay, because you probably won't see it anyway if the RV is filled with smoke. So some evening, just close your eyes from wherever you are and take a stroll to the door where you think it is. Moreover, close your eyes and try to open up that window. After you have to dig through the obstacles that are are in front of it or that are impeding your discharge from the rig. I have four exit windows in my travel trailer. Four of them. I say this to everybody. I'm a big guy. And I say, if you don't fit, get fit. Because that may be your only means of survival. But in front of those windows, there are cushions. There is a chair. And in the other, in the back room, I actually have a couple of obstacles in the way. One of them happens to be a TV. RVs are designed for minimum amounts of storage. We all have stuff got to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. right. But the one positive thing here is, especially with my couches here in the aft section of my rig, is those pillows, once that window is open, those pillows are what are supposed to go out first because that's what I'll be landing on. Uh -huh. And even the baseline of that window, and I'm 6'3", is still over my head. And I tell this to everybody, and we did a demonstration of it recently. The fact and reality is, going out an exit window, practice or for real, you're going to get hurt. There's no left or right about it. You're just going to get hurt. You're going over a rail, have a blanket nearby. There should be 
see two forms and methods of getting out of a window. One of them is having something to go over that rail because you're going to be sliding over it, you and everybody else behind you. Maybe a means to keep it open. There's a little bungee, a little bungee stick that keeps the window open. First person that hits it closes it on the person behind them. <laughs> and the last thing being the couch covers. As I would say many times, my couch, those pillows are gone. If I can get my dog off it, they're going to be out that window so I at least have something to land on. But across the way, I've got two recliners sitting over there. And those recliners are direct impede to my getting out that window. It's not going to happen. So it really is situational awareness when it comes down to your interior. Then to add more fuel to the fire, it's situational awareness when you are outside of your rig. When you go outside, how close are you to the individual next to you? Because we've seen it. We saw it actually at the last rally that we were at, how close they were pulling people together that the local fire folks had to come down and tell them to move these rigs apart. Hmm. You have to have about five to eight feet between the rigs in order for one, you to get out safely, and two, should your rig or their rig catch fire, the radiant heat that's going to be bellowing off that apparatus has a lesser effect on your rig or the one next to it. Right. There have to have firefighting distance between the two. There has to be a safe distance between the two. And radiant heat from one burning rig will translate itself to the next available source and pick up where it left off. We actually saw that one day Peggy and I were out to dinner. We came back and we saw this huge fire and I thought, oh God, our house caught on fire because I had just done something, <laughs> some repair that was sort of sketchy. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, and I'm like, oh God, I caught the house on fire. But no, it was an RV at the RV park next door. And that RV, yeah. before the fire department even got there, all the fiberglass or plastic on the end cap of the adjacent RV had melted. And it was about to go off. So when the fire yeah. department got there, all they did was try to keep that other one from going. They didn't bother with the one that had, mm -hmm. that was already gone. It's what we call protecting exposures. And when, in most cases, an RV is a total loss the minute it catches fire. Not at all. Again, the two instances that I was aware of on a court site, they were fought on scene by the occupants. And one of them was a refrigeration unit. And they were able to uh, use their fire extinguishers immediately to be able to get that. But radiant heat will push out and superheat what's next to it within X amount of feet. Militarily, we don't put tents closer than 10 feet next to each other. There has to be distance between the two because if one goes, firefighters were able to at least do the best efforts we can to save the exposures. Now, I will say this, going back to those couple of fires, is a fire extinguisher is only as good as its users. The key is you have to be there to use it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. One of the statements that I have towards the end of my seminars is, it is great that I've had all of you folks sitting here with me, but what's protecting you with your rig over there? What is happening at your rig while you're here listening to me spiel? Huh. Right. And I see the eyes suddenly open going, oh my God, because they were right up front going, oh, I have enough fire extinguishers for the entire neighborhood. And I embellish a lot on that one, but that's sometimes a statement that I get because the forgotten idea is, that's fine when you're there. Yeah. yeah. What do you going to do when you're not? Call the insurance company. We have protection when you're not there. That's why I say there's so many things in the RV world that are potential for disasters, not because of something that, like you said, you uh -oh, got the house on fire because I had the right idea but the wrong plan. You may not have had anything to do with it. It's the person next to you that had something happen to them and whatever that happened to them is now affecting you. you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So you may not even be there, but 
a fire extinguisher is only as good as its user as long as they're there to use it. Yeah, that's true. So some things to think about with RV safety. I think one of the big ones here is, again, reviewing the small things, the little things that promote disaster. Let's look at uh, storage. Let's look at testing smoke detectors. Have two escape routes, like we said. Make sure that all travelers know how to open the front door of the hatches and their, their emergency exits. Normally, under NFPA Life Safety Code 101, it indicates that an exit is supposed to only have one action. That's why if you go to the hotel room and you lock all your doors from the inside, all you have to do in most cases is simply turn the handle and it dislatches all of the locking devices. One motion engages all of those devices to let you egress. My rig in particular takes two actions to get out. Although it has one lever on the main door, the screen is part of that door, but there's also a piece of plastic in front of it, which actually keeps my cat from going out. (laughs) That piece of plastic covers over the mechanism that allows the door to open. And should that plastic slide over to it and it's kept normally closed so the cat doesn't open the door randomly, what happens is you, with your eyes closed, end up like a fish in a bowl on the side of that cover. Going, uh, 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 until you remember, I have to slide this over, reach in, pull the latch, push the door. That's more than one action. Yeah, Yeah. it's a lot of steps. Yes. Any exit door, listed life safety code door, must have a single action in order to exit. All of your exit windows take two actions. One, unlatching the mechanism. Two, pushing the window out. Your front side or other doors, same thing. One or two actions. And those those have to be practiced in order to remember them, muscle memory being key, at the right time. It took me, I don't know how long to remember how to open that damn door in the middle of the night because I forgot that it took two actions. I'm single-minded when it comes to that. I'm a one-trick pony when it goes out the door. (laughs) If we want to look into the perspective of life safety, the number one thing to be concerned with is having two minimum ways out. Knowing that you have two means of escape is one thing. Knowing how they work is another one. And that's part of what we call the routine out and inbound checklist is ensuring that not only you as the user owner are aware of how to use the equipment and your egress or exit points, but that your guests and family know how to do it as well. Right down to your kids at an age of comprehension, whatever that may be for however old that child is, knowing how to use an exit could mean the difference between life and not. Having firsthand knowledge, I open up this exit, if this happens here, I open up that door, but I need to get out of there. RV maintenance, have your brakes checked routinely before you even roll out the doors. You should be checking them because they may be dragging or otherwise. That drag can create friction and ignite the tire to brake fluid. Bouncing down the road, loosen electrical connections. A lot of fires have occurred in RVs from electrical discharge. And that's one of the things that we are constantly informing people of why we are protecting people behind the scenes with our products is because we don't know what's happening with those connections. We don't know what somebody did. I'm aware last year of three RV dashboard fires that have occurred simply sitting in someone's driveway. It's amazing. I mean, the amount of shaking that goes on yes. and, and a wire comes disconnected and then it touches something it wasn't supposed to. And next thing yeah. you know, you're calling the fire department. One of our fellow vendors that does does a great job in his product line told me his unfortunate story and um, that's exactly what it was is they had an electrical discharge ground out between the engine compartment and the actual RV itself that discharge caused a fire they were aware of it because they were actually in at the time but they couldn't get to where it was because it was under the RV within the engine compartment actually it was at the firewall where all the electrical wires come in oh yeah that bundle had vibrationally frayed the coating of the wire out exposed the wires to the steel at the firewall. That grounded the unit out. All they had to do was plug one thing in 
and charge that one small 12 gauge line or whatever it might have been and um, that's what started the fire and it propagated up into their sleeping quarters they had time to, they actually had to think and this is how we described this to me we had time to remember I need to get this where's my wallet do we need to get the jewelry I think so do we, where's the cash do we have the car keys and it was this back and forth that was taking all that time well in all that time the fire was now up into the rig oh, but the smoke was beginning to bellow and I tell everybody this story because he wants me to is that they had an animal, and I use that in the past tense because their cat was forward on the dashboard in panic. An animal will panic. You think you're bad. Think of an animal that doesn't understand right. what's going right. on, and they're going to react 10 times to what you would yeah. because they sensed that smoke long before you ever did. They're going to panic sooner. And the cat, unfortunately, was forward to the dashboard. Well, when he and his wife finally collected all the belongings that they were able to because it was already moving very quickly now, full flash, she went for the cat and the cat bolted and went back into the bedroom and underneath that area of the bed the cat expired unfortunately oh because it ran, literally physically ran into the back bedroom well they got out the thing is though they got out and they didn't follow the cardinal rule of stay out because when they got outside it didn't look that bad because the fire was inside it was generating enough heat inside it was a Dutch oven principle and it was baking bread literally it, that's, that's what happens inside an RV is the containment fire inside an RV is generating so much heat and that smoke is generating heat and that smoke is actually fire in itself creating a much greater problem everything that's in there is just waiting to flash that's why rv fires are so dangerous for everybody they got out but unfortunately because it looked less dangerous from the outside than what is really was happening on the inside is a decision was to go back in and try to save the cat oh boy. unfortunately the burns that were received from that operation proved to be the problem when they went back in to retrieve their pet, actually they ended up getting more injured by doing that. Oh, and it was a really unfortunate circumstance because they lost their pet, but now they have the scars to remember that from. Yeah. Oh boy. Jeez. So I say this to everybody this way, it comes from the RV family that it occurred to them is you have 20 seconds to get out, you have a fire extinguisher to get yourself out, stay out. You cannot be replaced. There is only one of you, Peggy, there's only one of you, Tony, there's only one of Todd. That's it. There's no one else like us. Insurance will never replace us. Right. You may get your you may get your rig back. You may get some semblance of it back, but you won't. This the stuff that insurance doesn't cover is your life. There's only one of you, and it's irreplaceable. Get out. Yeah. And I can't emphasize that to people enough. It's like my mantra. I'm about to make a T-shirt with it saying on the back, "Get out." <laughs> <laughs> Again, hindsight being what it was. As they sat back and thought about this, it didn't look that bad from the outside. But when we were inside, it was growing. It was building. It was uncontrollable. And they couldn't fight it from the inside because it was in a compartment beneath the living zone that they could not access. Oh, boy. And it was well underway. They lost the cat. But when they got outside, well, maybe we can save her. They were wrong. Uh, Get out. Stay out. And it's sad that they were injured, too. Yes. We had talked about having a go bag right next to the door or in the cab. What kind of things would you recommend for that? So there are commercial bug out bags. Our military bags are bug out bags. They can be anything that you feel is pertinent to you. However, there are certain items that you want to have at all times with you that are storable, non-perishable, able to dehydrated, um, things that you know necessarily are stable for long-term storage purposes. 
And as an example, I think one of the biggest things for, for a bug out bag is having your personal information on a media drive, thumb drive, or using a system by which uh, you can have digital information transferred to responders. And I happen to, uh, I don't necessarily promote it, but I'm aware of a, of a besides the uh, metal alert bracelets, is something called My ID, which provides your personal information. And that tells us at the click of a button and a barcode scan, how to contact people that you would want us to contact in the event of emergency, because not everybody keeps a, hey, if I get injured, call this person in their wallet card. Copies of your pertinent documents, such as your passport, your license, anything that you have that identifies you or is necessary for you to, if you're out of zone or out or over the line and you don't have your passport because of an incident, you may not be getting back over that line, you know, to be at <laughs> north or south of our location. Yeah, I mean, right now, can you imagine if you're two states away and you need your, let's say you have to fly, if you do have yeah. a fire and you don't have your driver's license, you're not going anywhere. Right. You're Correct. stuck. So it's good to have. That's a great example. As a routine airline passenger, I do have my digital information for all of the airlines that I participate in, but that does you no good when you get to the counter and are required to present formal ID, real ID, or otherwise in order to identify who you are. Especially like you may you may have a recollection of your reservation ID, but unless you have got the card it was on or your personal information or anything like that, you're not going anywhere. It's just not going to happen. Nope. And they've really clamped down on that. Do you have a list of what should go in the bug out bucket? I do. I actually have a an available list of what I keep in Bob, the bug out bucket. <laughs> and I and I and it's not about a guy, it's about the bug out bucket because we use acronyms in the military all the time. So and Bob is not an unknown term. Um, no, I, but I know a lot so, of women uh, who use it for something else. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I have a list of, of many, many different things, all of which are routinely available in the stores, you know, in a dollar store or less. And we will have a list of all of Todd's recommended items for the bug out bucket on our website and in the show notes for this episode. Do you have things that you recommend to prevent fires in RVs? Yes, absolutely. Besides the products that we have, which are engaged only in the event of a fire, prevention is the number one thing. And that's where situational awareness comes from. The only way that you prevent something from happening is doing everything physically possible to stop that from happening. As a series of examples, leave nothing on other than your air conditioner maybe to support if you have your pets inside. Unplug things that are not in use. Everything that's plugged in, as long as your rig is plugged in, is drawing power. And I know for some people, some of them are built in that way, but the unit was designed to manage that power because it was rated for that power. But if you're plugging something in, you are now engaging maybe a a couple of different processes or the potential to cause additional draw because every time you plug something in it creates more draw that's why if you have a 50 amp service i have two acs on my rig those two acs are able to operate because i have a 50 amp service however if i have a 30 i can only do one at a time or it pops the breaker so i have to be cognitive and aware of what i'm plugging in and using depending on where i am unplug stuff never if at all possible use an extension cord in your rig the reason is that extension cord can get hot it can be underrated for what you're using it for. I've seen people that are in certain locations that will take their extension cord, plug it into the only plug that they have in their rig, and they will generate to their Keurig name brand, all right? I'm going to tell you a little story behind the Keurig. Everything in here can run to a degree on my small generator, but I did a little test of that, and I plugged in the Keurig via a rated cord 
directly to the generator. The generator kicked into high dry just to engage the heating element that was on the curate. So let's go one step further. That has so much draw on it, it creates so much heat at a rapid rate. That generated element on the inside creates heat on the outside. Some people don't have their Keurig on a non-porous surface. They'll have it on whatever that is potentially flammable. Touch the Keurig and find out where those hot spots are because that radiant heat or direct convection caused the element that it's sitting on to ignite. It will dry out the wood or whatever it's on eventually to it gets to its burn point. Being aware just in general of your equipment. Some people, if you're cooked on your stove in the rig, turn the handles inside. Don't use a fire extinguisher on a fire in a pot. Use a blanket or the lid. Little things. But fire prevention is situational awareness. What am I using? What am I doing? What do I need to do? And how do I make sure that don't put your paper towels near the stove? Those are flammable. <laughs> you know? yeah. Little things yeah. like that. Yeah. That was fantastic. We have been very appreciative of having met Todd. Todd comes to us through a company called Protang, which is a fire prevention technology. And as I've said on several other episodes, I truly believe it is revolutionary in terms of fire protection for RVs. And I can't say enough about these people and how they operate and the quality of their product. It's something we'll have links in our show notes to Protang and to what they do and how they do it. And we'll We'll discuss that in more detail next week also yeah. with Todd. Yeah, Todd had so much to share that we have more next week, including uh, tips for preventing fire. Right. I like that Todd describes himself as trying to take a drink of water from a fire hose. Yes, that's literally true. (laughs) That man is full of information. Yeah, he's good. If you ever have a chance to see his presentation at an RV rally or something, do so because he really knows what he's talking about and he's very entertaining. Right. It's a good thing. Well, speaking of being entertained, we have the list. Bum, bum, bum. Thank you. You know, we're all kind of sitting around. And one of the nice things a lot of people enjoy doing while they're out on the road is reading. So we've got some authors you might want to take a look at. But by gosh, you know, we have our Facebook group. And if you have authors that you really like their books, let's start a discussion there and, and talk about that. Anyway, this week, authors you love, whether you're RVing or not. Our first author, of course, is Mr. Nick Russell. We have talked to Nick on a podcast that you can go back and listen to again and hear more about him. Nick was a full-time RVer for many years, and so he wrote a lot of books about the RV life. Yeah, he's got a lot of guidebooks and such, especially about Arizona and Florida, and they're really well-written and entertaining. But he also has two other series of books that are very entertaining, in my opinion. So he writes the Big Lake series, which is a series of books about a sheriff in Arizona. And he has the John Lee Quarles, which is about a sheriff's deputy in Florida. Right. They're really well written and they're very fun to read and I'm always sad when I'm done because it's like, oh, I want more. And Nick is a prolific writer. Well, we have a link to his episode in our show notes, so check it out. You can hear all of Nick and also find his books. At the end of every book, we're just antsy for the next yeah. one. To, okay, come on, where's the next 
one. Yeah. It was fine when we first learned of the series and we were behind. And as soon as we finished one, we could start the next one. But now we're caught up and now it's torture waiting. Yeah. <laughs> Peggy really enjoys reading when we're camping. So she brings her Kindle with her and she's out there reading in her chair. I do. I always make sure I've got a few books loaded up just in case yep. I get really lots of time to read. <laughs> Another author that I really love reading is Karen Muster Nortman. And we've also spoken with Karen on the podcast. So you can go and listen to more information about her. And she combines great mystery writing with camping with her Franny Shoemaker series. Yeah, the commonality of Nick and Karen are that they're both RVers and writers. Right. It ties in here since exactly. this is a podcast about RVing. So the Franny Shoemaker series, of course, is a mystery series and something happens every time they go camping. I don't want to go camping with Franny Shoemaker. I enjoy right. reading the books about her, but my gosh, people die. Right. Another series that Karen has written is the Time Travel Trailer series, and those are a really fun series of books about a vintage travel trailer and traveling back in time to some different parts of history that that travel trailer may have taken you on adventures in real life. And another series that Karen has written is the Mystery Sisters. They don't camp. They're an elderly couple of sisters who travel around and visit different parts of the country. And of course, there's always a mystery when they get there and they get called the Mystery Sisters or the Nosy Old Biddies or something like that. <laughs> oh, man. And then another author that we've enjoyed, but not an RVer to our knowledge, is C.A. Newsom. And it's these Leah Anderson dog park mysteries. Can you tell we like detective stories or <laughs> mysteries? C.A. Newsom dog park mysteries are pretty darn good. Right. And then I've just discovered an author that's new to me. Her name is Tanya Kappes, I assume. It's K-A-P-P-E-S. And I've been reading the Camper and Criminals Cozy series. I don't know if Tanya's actually a camper, but her star, Mae West, <laughs> not the Mae West, inherits a campground and starts solving mysteries. And they're a pretty fun read. And I've been through four or five of that series, and I'm looking forward to getting caught up on that one. Uh, and there's one more that isn't on our list. We have these show notes, and there's one more that's not on our list that I had forgotten. Oh, a surprise A writer. surprise one, and one who we know who is also an avid RVer. Tony Barthel? No. Oh. No. <laughs> Steve Davis. Oh. I'll have to put a link in the show notes to his book, but I really liked it. It was one of those edge-of-your-seat kind of books with great plot twists. That's and, and right. We, we know Steve. He's a friend of ours, and he is an RVer and former California Highway Patrol officer. Right. So another great book. So there you go. Some reading material for you if you're looking for something to do, as we kind of all are in these wacky times. Yeah. Well, that's our The List. That's our episode for this week. Don't forget to tune in next week when Todd's back with us and we uh, talk about fire prevention and fire safety and learn more about protang. So that's what you have to look forward to. You have to wait a whole week, but it'll be next Thursday at 8 a.m. That's right. In the meantime, <laughs> go read a book or two. Yes. And then <laughs> while you're in and on your social media, hey, if you tell a friend about our podcast, we'd sure appreciate it. We would indeed. And of course, 
course, we have our Facebook group, and we're in all those usual social places, and you can find us by starting at StresslessCamping.com. If you don't want to miss a future episode of the Stressless Camping Podcast, you know that it's free to subscribe on any podcast app. We are saving a seat for you around our virtual campfire. And, of course, a review will help others find this podcast, and more listeners means we can continue to get the best guests for you. So leave a review if you haven't. We really appreciate it. We do. Now, you guys have a great week and happy happy camping. Sort (laughs) of. Time to get out on your own journey. Don't forget to leave a review on your favorite podcast app and visit StresslessCamping.com for photos, stories, an RV calendar, and more. I'm Stressless Camper Larry Richardson wishing you happy camping.